You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments? If you haven't, here's a refresher. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Every one of these makes me want to preach so much, so I'm just refraining from saying things. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Honor your father and mother, and all the parents said, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's a poetic way of saying, honor your father and mother or I'll kill you. That your days may be long in the land. You shall not murder. Fair enough. You shall not commit adultery. Fair enough. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak for us, we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And then Matthew chapter 7. This is Jesus. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus telling us what the other side of the Ten Commandments is. The Ten Commandments are essentially thou shall not. And Jesus offers us the fulfillment of those by saying here's what you shall do. So I'm just going to read a portion of that. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That verse is so simple. Can you imagine we did it for 10 minutes? Imagine for 10 minutes today you did to somebody else what you would want them to do unto you. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sheesh. Rules, regulations. I want to start off by saying this. The Ten Commandments are not dated Old Covenant relics that Jesus did away with. The Ten Commandments are not dated Old Covenant relics that that God knew we couldn't fulfill, and so he sent Jesus to fulfill them for us. There's, they are the words of God. And let me ask you this question. Who is the word of God? So when God speaks, who is he speaking? Jesus. So when we hear the Ten Commandments, we are hearing the words of, or you could even say deeper than that, we're hearing the word that is Jesus. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Words of God, or the Word of God to Israel, is the Word that is Jesus. Those Ten Rules, those Ten Commands, those Ten Invitations into a Flourishing Life are none other than Jesus himself and the way in which the Holy Spirit wants us to participate in the life of Christ. They're not just for our kids. Most Sunday school rooms have the Ten Commandments in them. But they are not just for children. They are for everybody. They, and, and listen to me here. 
we, get a, we got offended when they took the Ten Commandments out of the schools. And if they put the Ten Commandments back into the public school system, so many of us would feel so satisfied. But God does not care. You ready? Listen to my words carefully. If there is a graven image of the Ten Commandments in the hallways of our schools, if the spirit of the Ten Commandments is not operating in our lives. We want to put the Ten Commandments here, and we want to put the Ten Commandments there so that we don't have to be responsible for having the Ten Commandments here. This is where God wants them. These are the halls where God wants the Ten Commandments to be. When we live the Ten Commandments, they won't need to be posted anywhere because they would be wherever we are living our life. He offers these commandments after he says, I am the Lord your God who did what? Delivered you from Egypt. So do you see this? And you've heard me say this before. The Ten Commandments, following the rules of God, being obedient is not the pathway toward deliverance. Listen to the text. I'm the Lord your God who did what? I delivered you. You're delivered. Now I'm going to give you a path of life. Not if you follow this path of life, you'll follow it into deliverance. Now that you've been delivered because I wanted to deliver you, because you're my kids, and I want to see you flourish. Now that you've been delivered, now walk in this way, and you won't recreate the system that Pharaoh created in your life. We don't follow the Ten Commandments to earn deliverance. We follow the Ten Commandments because they are what our already delivered life should look like. Am I talking to anybody this morning? We want control. We want to be able to say, if you do, then God will. But that is not the gospel. That's legalism. That's law. That's not grace. The gospel is not if you do, then God will. The gospel is because God has, you have the opportunity to. There's a difference. If you have people that work for you, if you have children of any age, march to the beat of the gospel that doesn't say, if you do, then I will. It's I've offered you my full self. Now you have the opportunity to. Well, pastor, that sounds like I could get taken advantage of. He knows. He gets it. He gets taken advantage of by us every day. And he keeps saying, this is my body. This is my body. This is my body. This is my body. Given for you. Given for you. Given for you. And slowly, he's turning our hearts without coercion, without threat, without scaring us. He's offering us love. It takes a lot longer but it lasts a lot longer when we finally get it. He did not deliver us, you ready, from hell. He delivered us for our neighbor. Write that down. Text that down. Use your thumbs. He did not deliver us from hell. He delivered me for you and he delivered you for me. Last night, I was, Jacqueline and I were sitting down to a really nice dinner with some of our dear friends. And one of them works in Manhattan with a very high pressure, very intense job. And he was telling us, he's like, yo, the people at my job, they just don't talk to me right. They're rude. They're nasty. They curse at me. They take advantage of me. I'm trying to do this right. I'm in charge of a lot of people. They're nasty. And I'm just sitting there listening like, okay, okay. And he says, you know, here's the problem, PB. I'm a Christian, and I can't answer them the way that I want to because I represent God to them. And I'm annoyed about it. And I thought to myself, you know, here's the title of today's message. We're used to hearing your delivery is on the way. But I want to suggest your delivery is in the way. Your deliverance is not on the way. You already have it, and now it's in the way of your life. 
You ever have somebody you wanted to smack? And you couldn't because, you know, his eyes go to and fro on the whole earth, watching over the children of man. You know why you couldn't smack him? Because your deliverance is in the way. You ever have something you wanted to say? And the Holy Spirit's like, go ahead. Say it to them, I'm right here. And you're like, damn, why'd I get saved? You ever, you ever see people, like, and here's the thing, we do say the stuff. And then we feel terrible about it, but you might have a coworker or two who says the stuff and feels real good about it. They walk away like, got him. And you're like, I, w- I wish I could just have that freedom for one second, because I would have said better stuff to get them, and I would have walked away more pompous in greater victory. Our deliverance is in the way. It's why we feel bad when we do bad things, because our deliverance is getting in the way of what our flesh wants to do. Our deliverance is not something we're trying to earn. It's not something that's down the road. It's something that's in my life and is bothering me every day. I can't respond the way that I want to. I can't say the things that I want to say. Part of mine and Jacqueline's go-to moves when we're fighting is one of us will say to the other person, you're just saying whatever you want. And the other one is like, I am definitely not saying everything I want. And then the other person's like, say it. And then sometimes she does. Your deliverance is in your way every day. Dr. Chris Green says it this way, God is always against you for you. He's opposed to you for you. He sometimes functions like our enemy to make us not his enemy. He convicts us. He disciplines us. He teaches us. He lets us feel in our gut when we have said or done something wrong. And then we have to apologize. You ever try to apologize in a sneaky, insulting way? Jacqueline? I want you to know I'm sorry if you think I did something wrong today. Hold on. My glasses are fogging up. Hold on. Ah. I'm sorry. If, if I did anything wrong today, I just want you to know. I apologize. The other person's like, mm, we don't like it. Just saying sorry and then making no other transaction is one of the most disarming, humbling things in history. Because you want to, you want to, you say, like, all right, Steve, listen, man, that conversation we had, I was rude, I was intense, I apologized. Steve, is there anything that you would like to contribute to said conversation that we're having right now? Your deliverance is in the way. It's in the way of your ego. Here's the thing. God does not want us to put to death our ego. He wants our ego to be free from needing to promote itself. This is, we have to be better at talking about these things. Our ego is not bad. Our bound up ego is. Our free ego offers itself to others because it's made in the image of God who offers himself to others. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he said in English, into your hands I commit my spirit. In Aramaic, he's, the word my is the word ego. He's not eliminating his ego. He's showing us what the ego was meant to do, be in the hands of God. And whatever is in the hands of God is given to the world, like Jesus, like the bread. So our job isn't to kill our ego. Our job is to, what the Holy Spirit wants to do is free our ego to be what it was created to be, which is a force for good in the lives of other people. The Ten Commandments are not lives for personal holiness. The Ten Commandments are the way that we become the good neighbor Jesus told the lawyer that we're meant to be. 
The Ten Commandments is what being a good neighbor looks like in everyday life and action. The Ten Commandments are not about my relationship with God by itself. The Ten Commandments are what God wants to do through me for the life of those around me. Do not murder makes the life around me better. Does it not? And Jesus said, if you called somebody a fool, you've murdered them. So do not murder also means do not speak rudely about somebody else. Raise your hand if you're doing good with do not murder. Shut up, John. I just murdered John. <laughs> Sorry. Will you forgive me? <laughs> Think about it. Every one of the commands, if we lived them right, makes the life of somebody near us better. Easier to live, more enjoyable. My good friend JP and his wife Diana, they like to say this. You ready? Sin is anything that makes joy in the Lord harder for somebody else. Anytime my life, I'm saying this in front of my wife, anytime my life makes being joyful in the Lord more difficult for Jacqueline, which never happens. Mostly, sometimes, we're sinning. When somebody can't take delight in the Lord because of something we've said or done or didn't say or didn't do, we're sinning. We've made this all too personal. We've made obedience too personal. We've made sin too personal. We've made our relationship with God too personal. It has a personal component, but it is meant to flourish. You will know them by their fruits. Trees don't eat their own fruit. You'll know them by how healthy the people around them become when they eat of their fruit. You want to know how healthy a person is? Look how healthy the people closest to them are. Oh, God. You want to know how healthy somebody is? Look at the people who spend the most time with them and see how healthy they are. You'll know them by their fruit. How will you know if their fruit is good or bad? By what it does to the people who eat from it. The Ten Commandments are not about personal holiness because there's no such thing as personal holiness. Holiness, by its definition, in the life of Jesus, makes lepers clean. Makes blind men see, makes dead Lazarus alive again. Holiness opens up somebody else's life to the good things of God. So if your life is personal, or should I say this, if your life has gone from being personal to being private, you're walking away from holiness, not toward it. Holiness is contagious. I have to say it because I'm insecure. I have what looks like dirt all over my hands. Do you see that? You know why? Because God made walnuts, and God made them to fall from trees when I want to mow my lawn, and God made thousands of them, and God gave us two of those trees that have thousands of walnuts on them. So I took my children, including Theodore, who is two years old today, by the way. I promise you I thought he was one today. I'm like, happy first birthday, little guy. Jacqueline's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, what's not? I took them, and we had to pick up walnuts, and I was sweating as per usual, and my gloves got soaking wet, and they're a little porous. And let me tell you, there's a reason why people pay for like that walnut stain, because it doesn't come off. And then I got to thinking, you'll know them by their fruit. What if we actually realized that our life is going to stain the life of another person no matter what. Is that stain going to look good? Like a nice, clean stain on this cherry cap right here? Or is it going to look nasty like my hands? The fruit of my life is going to get on somebody else's life, whether I like it or not. The Ten Commandments teach me to get good things on the life of other people.
I was taught growing up without say, this being said directly, but my God was it implied that if I don't follow the Ten Commandments, I'm going to go to hell when I die, Tim. All ten of them. No chance. No chance. But here's what I think is more true than that. It's not if I fail in the Ten Commandments, I'll go to hell when I die. You ready? It's that if I fail to live the Ten Commandments, my neighbor will be in hell while I'm alive. Let that hover over the room for a moment. It's not that I'll go to hell when I die. It's that my neighbor will be in hell now if I'm not living the Ten Commandments. Because I'll be coveting, and I'll be murdering, and I'll be lying, and I won't be honoring, and I'll be turning things into idols, and I'll be living a greedy life, a life that is about me getting what I need and what I want ASAP, maybe at the expense of you, neighbor. Like, God sent ten plagues into Egypt, and then he gave us ten commandments, and I wonder if he's just being kind of funny and saying, if you don't live the commandments, you will be ten plagues to your neighbor. For every commandment that you don't live, you're a plague. You're frogs. You're locusts. You're hail. You're darkness. You're death. Maybe. Isn't this such an encouraging word today? Encourage us, Pastor. I'll get there. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Our deliverance is in the way. Our deliverance doesn't let us get away with. You ready? Just picture yourself scrolling. You're scrolling on the phone. You got... You have, you have 10 minutes to just do nothing. It turns into 37 hours, but you're sitting there. Are you really doing that without coveting? Really? Listen, when I scroll to a preacher who's got a whole church on their feet yelling for what he's saying, you don't think that there's a split second where I'm like, that would be nice? Can I tell you this? Every time that thought goes through my head, will you forgive me? I'm not joking. I'm sorry. I don't want to think that about that guy's church, and I don't want to think that about you. But that's what coveting does. It makes you think about the thing that you want, and without realizing it, it makes you think negatively about the stuff you have. Can you really go a day without committing adultery once Jesus said, if you look at any person and lust after them, then you've committed adultery? Do we really want to make it awkward in the room right now about who's actually been faithful under those guidelines from Jesus himself? We have to get back to some basics of saying, Lord, my brain is open every day to the powers and principalities that fly around and I need you to be a hedge of protection, not just around me physically, but please guard my thoughts. Guard what goes into my mind. Give me the willpower, not to endure temptation when it comes only, but to stay away from things that bring temptation in the first place. There are times where like, Lord, deliver me from this moment, and God's like, I'm gonna, but how about next time? We just don't get into this moment. You're doing life transformation groups on this, so I'm just going to leave these things like surface level and not go all the way in. But my goodness gracious. Narrow is the way. Here's the thing. I want to submit to you. Look what he says. He says, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Then he says, narrow is the way that leads to life, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Then he says, you'll know them by their fruit. So guess what? This narrow is the way passage, it doesn't have to do with heaven or hell when you die. Don't take Jesus out of context. It's do unto others as you would want them to do unto you then narrow is the way, then you'll know them by their fruit. But fruit is something that is done to other people, yes? So do unto others, 
You'll know them by their fruit. So narrow is the way, simply is Jesus saying, narrow is the way that leads to life for your neighbor. Hard, difficult, self-denying is the way that brings life to those around you. We've made it about personal salvation, which is actually anti-neighbor. We've literally turned the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount back into Egypt, making bricks without straw. We've turned it into behave or else, when it was never meant to be that. It was meant to be. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Well, what is life? Life is the life of Jesus. Well, what is the life of Jesus? Human flourishing through what God is doing in him. So if the life of Jesus is human flourishing through what God is doing in him, then the life he wants us to live is the life where there is human flourishing because of what he's doing through me. Narrow is that way, though. Why? Because in our fallen, make bricks without straw, overproducing, overproductive, overworking, over-sexualized culture that we're living in, everything is about what I can get and how I can get it for myself. And if you can't get it in real life, you could get AI to give it to you now. We are learning we are being discipled in how to be alone. We're being discipled into how to get what we want apart from other people. The Ten Commandments say, you, I delivered you from that culture. I delivered you from that slavery. Pharaoh was getting what he wanted. And getting what you want whenever you want it because you feel like you deserve it, that turns other people into slaves, both literally and metaphorically. Just study some history, everyone. But it's not just the big historical sweeps. Just ask yourself, are my views, the way that I live my life, the things I say when I open my mouth. Simply, do they bring people closer to Jesus and their life is more blessed or not? Is your entertainment blessing other people? Are your pursuits blessing other people? When you sit down to say, Lord, thank you for what you've put in my life, he says you're welcome, and then he says also... Who's thanking you for what you put in their life? And then you're like, can you just stop and just say you're welcome and let's move on? But he won't because he wants you to live and living, real living. Talk about the fear of missing out. Talk about all these things. Real life is, your li is you knowing that your life is holding somebody else's life up. That's real life. It's not all the aesthetics. It's not all the things that are passing away with this world. It's not anything that can get inflated with inflation. Is somebody else's life more easily made to delight in the Lord because of you? That's the Ten Commandments. When they get the Ten Commandments, they got the Ten Commandments after they went through the Red Sea. Well, what does the Red Sea represent? Somebody yell it out. Baptism. So after baptism... God gives them, first he gives them deliverance, that's baptism. Then he gives them food and water and then a rule of life. And in that rule of life, he says to you, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. What, you know what else he's giving you? He's giving you agency. He's giving you the ability to say yes and no to things. He's assuming in those commands that he, you have what you need in you to follow those commands. Listen, that is something we overlook, but there are a lot of people walking around feeling like they don't have the goods in them to live a good life. When the woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of Jesus' garment, he turns around and he says, daughter, you're what? You're healed, and he, what made her well? Her faith. He looks at her and says, your faith has made you well. There's a couple ways to look at what he may have meant by that. 
One of the ways, the most commonly contemporary taught way, is that she was able to muster up faith, and until she did, God was going to let her bleed out. And then finally, after 12 years of hemorrhaging, she finally musters up the faith, and then he heals her. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think God is a monster. I don't think he works that way. I think what he's saying to her is this. You're healed, but I want you to know something, daughter. Everyone that you've known for the last 12 years has looked at you like you have nothing good in you. And I want you to know that it's not just me that made you well. There's a lot of me in you that made you well. You're not just healed, but still rotten. You're not just healed, but still alone. You're not just healed, but still useless. You're healed, and I'm calling out the good that is in you. Your faith, something in you, connected with something in me, and that's what made you well. He was telling her that she's not just a pile of skin and bones to be healed, but that's all she is. He's telling her, you have agency. You have good in you. You're able to get things done. She needed to hear that really bad. And every time he says, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, he's also saying, look what you have in you. You hold the ability now. Nothing anybody's ever done to you and no mistake you've ever made has removed the grace of God in your life to get up right now in the middle of the mess and say, I'm going to keep trying, I'm going to keep grinding until we learn how to do this. That's the grace of God in your life. Listen to this text from 2 Kings. Almost done. 2 Kings, a few verses. Talking about Israel, Israel was in exile, and God sent priests to them to try to help them turn from their ways, and it says this. To this day, they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord, and they do not follow the statutes or the rules of the law or the commandments that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, you shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them, but you shall fear the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and outstretched arms. So they're quoting the Ten Commandments story here. You shall bow yourself to him, and to him you shall sacrifice. And the statutes and the rules, the Ten Commandments, and the law, the Ten Commandments, and the commandment that, the, that he wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do. This is hundreds of years later. You shall not fear other gods, and you shall not forget the covenant that I have made with you. You shall not fear other gods, but you shall fear the Lord your God, and he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. Listen to this. However, they would not listen, but they did according to their former manner. Listen to this verse. So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise, and their children's children. They feared the Lord, and they worshipped their carved images. They were duplicitous. They were polytheistic and didn't know it. They, served, they feared the Lord, but they also feared the bank account. They feared the Lord, but they also feared their personal ambitions. They feared the Lord, but they also feared those things that would prop them up over against other people. Do we have the Ten Commandments in one pocket and have toxic, unhealthy ambition in the other Do we walk around with two covenants, the covenant that God made with us and the covenant we made that we made with him? I'll worship you. I'll thank you. I'll praise my way into all the things that I want. God never made a transaction with us, and he's imploring us, don't make a transaction with me. Don't worship me if, don't worship me because. Worship me in who I am because the spirit in you is always worshiping me. Listen to what it says in Revelation. Ooh, we're going to turn to Revelation. It's Revelation, not Revelations. Everybody stop saying Revelations. There is no book called Revelations. It's the, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
For you say, listen to this, this is what lukewarm people say. I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing, and John is very kind here, that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments, speaking to baptism, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Listen to this. So be zealous and repent. How many know the story of Phineas in the Bible? Phineas, Phineas, Phineas in the Can we read it? Go home and start a reading plan. Now. It's really good. Google reading plans. You don't even need one out there. Google it. Phineas was known for his zeal because when he saw people sinning, he took a spear and he pinned them to the floor and killed them for sinning. And he was known for his zeal. But John, being a really good pastor, writing to a church says, be Phineas and drive the spear through your own temple. Take that spear and plunge it through your own mind that needs to repent. Be zealous, be Phineas, and repent. We can deconstruct fundamentalism, but we don't want to throw out the responsibility that we have because God loves us and he wants us to be like him and he carries responsibility. So we have a responsibility to be zealous you ready, Salem? Excited to find out the next thing that you're getting wrong that you can repent of. Excited about it. Repentance is the joyful life of the believer. Why? Repentance feels scary because we've spent more time with each other than we have with the Lord. I want to say that again. It's important. We're almost there. I promise you. Deep breath. Final sprint down the straightaway. We are afraid to repent because we've spent more time with ourselves and with each other than we have with God. I don't forgive myself, and people don't forgive me, and I don't forgive them the way that God does. But when we spend more time in the Word and read it carefully, when we read what made the Pharisees angry, was not the theology of Jesus. It was his blanket forgiveness of everybody. Once we get to know the God of the cross, repentance becomes baptism, refreshing, cleansing, feeling good. You ever have a really hard day? You work really hard, you're tired, and you take a shower, and you just feel good. That's what repenting can be. It's what it should be. It's what God wants it to be. But we have made it something that it's not. We've turned it into a begrudging thing because of the way we treat ourselves and the way we treat others. But when we know the God of the cross, repenting becomes drinking from a river of life, buying gold that's been refined, wearing white garments that he has cleansed for us. One more text. Worship team can come on up, as a matter of fact. Hosea 2, 14 and 15. Therefore, behold, speaking of Israel, I will allure her. This is God's idea of romance. And bring her into the wilderness. Jacqueline, this coming Valentine's Day, I'm going to take you to the desert. And we will stand together in the baking hot sun. And we will be annoyed. <laughs> I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And I will give her vineyards, listen to this, and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Let me tell you what that word means. That word Achor means trouble. I will take the trouble that you find yourself in 
And in that trouble, I will speak tenderly to you. I will help you produce fruit. And I will give you hope, not out of trouble, but in trouble. In your trouble, in the things that are troubling you, in the things that are shaking you, in the consequences of your decisions or the decisions of others, there I will make rivers form. There I will produce fruit for you. There I will give you vineyards. I will allure you. I will bring you such good news in the place of your trouble. Because you ready? If the good news happened out of trouble, then we would think that the good news rests on us to get out of trouble. But when the good news comes into our trouble, we know there is nowhere where I can go where he can't come and bring a vineyard with him. Let's stand to our feet this morning. This is about loving our neighbor. It's what the whole faith is about. It's what everything is about. When Christianity gets in bed with the systems of the day in all different cultures and in all different time frames and periods of history, it turns into something it's not. At the end of the day, Christianity is about God loving you into loving people. The Ten Commandments are not us coming before an angry dad hoping we got it right. The Ten Commandments are an invitation to let you know that you have more in you than you will ever realize. You have to trust it. And that your life, listen, I just, I literally just looked at three of you and I know you don't believe me. When, when we render judgment, I'll use Carrie as an example. When, when, when I judge Carrie, I don't, but for the sake of argument, I'm terrified of her, so I don't, I promise. Judgment sounds like this. Look what you've become. When this happened, I heard what you said. I heard how you acted. I heard how you reacted in that moment. Look what you've become. That's what we do to ourselves. And that's what the world does to us. The gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says, Carrie, you are so much more than what just happened. That is not you. Let me help you make you you. Do you see the difference? Judgment doesn't say anything true about you. It says, look what you've become. But that is not who you are. He says, that is not you. You're more than this. And I'm not going to go away I'm not just going to tell you you're more than this. I'm going to be the shoulder that lifts the more up into who you are. When he utters the commandments, he's also giving us the grace to follow every one of them. But we say to ourselves, look what I've become. How did I become this? When did this happen to me? This is not who I want it to be. And God's saying, you're right. But it's also not you. You're more than that. That's discipleship. That's discipline. That's conviction. When he says to us, Steve, that what you just said, that is not who I made you to be. That is the kind of discipline we do get from him. We don't get, Steve, look what you've become. I'm disgusted with you. We get Steve. You and I both know when we talk, when we meet, when you pray to me, that's not who you are. That's an uplifting smack. <laughs> It's God disciplining us, yes, but it's the discipline where he's saying, I'm upset, not because of what you did, but because you don't see who you really are. You wouldn't have done that if you did. If you knew what you were capable of, like I know what you're capable of, you would hold your head up, you would repent, you would say sorry, and that voice would be like, oh, you know what? You ever, you ever get motivated for a split second and be like, Lord, I'm sorry, and immediately there's a voice that's like, how many times are you going to have to say that about that? And all of a sudden, it just like hits you. Like, you want to say sorry, and you actually get motivated to. And then right when you're like, you know what? Family, God, whoever it is, I, I really, I, was, I made a mistake last night. I shouldn't have said that the way that I said it. Right there, there's this thought that pierces your brain, and it's like, you're going to have to do this again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So you might as well just stop. And you feel like this sinking feeling like that right there, that is what God wants to bring through the waters of baptism. 
That's what he wants to heal with his commandments. The voice that tells you you can't get back up. You're just going to fall again. I'm saying this, and I'm telling you, a dozen people in the room. Your falling is not the track record God looks at. Your righteousness, you've heard me say it before, I'm going to say it again. Steph could probably quote it because we talk about it all the time. A righteous person falls how many times? Seven. What is the number of totality? Seven. What is God's number of infinity? Seven. A righteous person does nothing but fall, but gets up every time. It's the getting up that's a witness to the people around you. It's a getting up that's a witness to yourself. It's a getting up that's a witness to your kids. It's getting back up and saying, I'm going to fall in 10 minutes, but I'm going to fall in 10 minutes because I'm going to get back up. I'm not going to crawl. I'm not going to stay right here. I'm going to keep getting back up because God is reminding me that falling isn't who you are. And I'm going to go through this with you again and again and again. And each time you get back up, you'll be a little more yourself. And, And next thing you know, you'll be getting other people up while you're getting up. And then they'll be getting people up while they're getting people up. And all of a sudden, we'll be a community of people that just gets people up. Let's just get up together. To be continued. Your deliverance is in your way. When you feel the nagging of the Holy Spirit, when you're like, oh, sit in that moment and hear what he's saying in an alluring way to you. You're in trouble, but I'm planting a vineyard in the middle of your trouble. All right. This sermon is not over by any means, but we're going to move on from it. We'll come back to it, I promise. What I'd like to do right now, before we come to the Lord's table, is just pray for the world together. So Courtney is going to lead us in the prayers of the people, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Let us pray for the church and for the world. O Lord our God, we ask that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Guide and grow your church, both locally here in Beacon and the Hudson Valley, and globally. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Guide the people in our country and in all the nations in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good, give discernment and open-hearted listening to those in positions of authority. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bring an end to wars, violent conflicts, and oppression, the effects of which are felt throughout the fabric of humanity. Root out fear and thoughtless suspicion. Enact justice for those who are wronged. Teach us to love as you love, with arms outstretched. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Comfort and sustain all those individual and communal lives that have been upended by disaster from flood, earthquake, and fire. Help us to remember them before you as they undertake the long, difficult work of mourning, assessing, rebuilding, and renewing. May your spirit hover over the chaos and pain and sing forth life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let your goodness and mercy embrace and empower those who struggle under the burden of of injustice those who are seeking life-giving refuge, those who are caught up in loss, fear, and uncertainty. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may steward its resources rightly so that no one may suffer from our abuse of them, and that generations yet to come may continue to praise you for your bounty. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We praise you for the changing seasons, for the abundance of the harvest, and the beauty of your good creation. As the light wanes, grant us a season of contemplation and renewal. May we draw close to one another as the light of your love enlivens our communal life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gracious Lord, walk before, behind, and beside us 
through the everyday moments of life. Help us to act as intercessors for a world in need of healing. May that lived prayer grow in us the fruit of your spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O Lord, our God, accept the fervent prayers of your people. In the multitude of your mercies, look with compassion upon us and all who turn to you for help. For you are gracious, O lover of souls, and to you we give glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Lord Jesus, it was on the night when you were betrayed that you took this bread and you gave thanks and you became generous and you said, this is my body which is broken for you. The brokenness in your life is not what you think it is. And you offered it to us and said, as often as you come to this table, as often as you sit before brokenness, do this in remembrance of me. And so Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would remind us at this table, which we come to every Sunday, which we're discipled by, formed by, that this table would be the source of our life. You offering yourself would be the source of our life. I pray that we would be reminded in times of trouble that we can be thankful, that we have what it takes to be thankful, and that even in a time when we feel like everything is being stripped away from us, our energy, our time, our money, our agency, that we are so filled with your spirit that we can still be generous in thought, word, and deed. I pray that you would descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him, and descend on us also. Forgive us of our sins and teach us to walk in newness of life. In your holy name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.